0: <laughs> it's episode four hundred thirteen of Monster Kid Radio, the podcast devoted to the classic end. Sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. I'm your writer, host, producer Derek M. Cook, and I want to welcome you to the show by playing a new song from the band The Delstroyers. Now we've had the Delstroyers open and close the show in the past. Well, there's a new EP coming out later this year, and they sent me a sneak peek. So what you're hearing right now is a song called The Bogeyman. You can find out more about the Delstroyers by looking them up over on Bandcamp on Facebook or at their website, delstroyerscom And that's destroyers, but with an L in there. So thedelstroyers.com, you can check that out and see that they've got some upcoming shows. On April 20th, they're going to be playing at the Kraken in Seattle, Washington. And then later this August, they've got some shows come up as well. Check out their website. Let them know that Monster Kid Radio sent you. But do it after you've listened to this episode of the podcast, because we've got some great stuff lined up. This time around, we've got a new voice that we're adding to the mix. Well, technically, two new voices. The first new voice that you're going to hear is an author friend of mine. His name's Orin Gray. I met him at the Lovecraft Film Festival here in Portland. I've known him for a few years now. Kind of traveled in the same circle, and I am proud to call him this week's guest. He and I are going to talk about a movie This one's a little outside the MKR wheelhouse. We're not in the 60s here. We are actually going to go into the 70s, and we're going Japanese. We're going to be taking a look at the film The Vampire Doll. This is from Toho Studios, and, well, Oren and I will get into it. And, of course, Oren will also play around with the Classic Five, and we'll talk a little bit about his current and upcoming book projects. The other new voice that we have on the show, well, it's a new segment. It's called Professor Frenzy's Bedtime Stories. In this segment, Professor Frenzy is going to tell us the story from a classic horror comic. It's a cool little segment when he approached me about doing this. I thought, you know, that sounds awesome. So you're going to hear the first installment of this new segment this week. We also have the returning segment, Dr. Tongue's World of Monster Collectibles. We also have Kenny's Famous Monsters of Filmland segment. And this time he's doing an installment of Famous Monsters and You. So you'll want to stay tuned for that too. In fact, We'll probably do the segments first, then we're going to have Oren come in and we'll talk about the vampire doll. That's all going to happen right after this.
1: This is the voice of the uninvited. from everywhere and
2: nowhere
1: a house of terror on the haunted cliffs of Cornwall where the uninvited walk unseen by men yet a cat arches its back in fright flowers are withered by the touch of an unseen malignant hand candles flicker and die as a ghostly chill fills the air and the living are clutched by the icy horror of the restless dead
3: stop him Don't
1: go near that door. The Uninvited, Dorothy McCardle's gripping novel of the supernatural, comes to the screen. Starring Ray Land, Ruth Hussey, Donald Crisp, with Cornelia Otis-Skinner, and introducing the exciting beauty of Gail Russell, whose first love is shadowed by the specters of the past. Stella, what is it?
3: Are you ill, Stella? Quiet. Leave her alone.
1: Oigan. Oigan. Stop her, Scott. She's in a trance. I saw this happen once before at a seance. I thought it was a fake. But this isn't. I know. It's dangerous. Please
3: get out of this house now.
1: Now lie there quietly. I'm not afraid of anything here.
3: Then be afraid. Be afraid for heaven's sake. When you were a little child, the evils of this house reached out for you.
2: Stella!
4: Go! Go!
3: Imagine the world around you is nothing but an illusion. Creatures of legend wage endless wars between shadow and light, but you never see it. Even now, dark forces threaten reality as we know it, but most people never know they exist.
1: This is the world I walk in. I am called Byron. And these are my chronicles. The Byron Chronicles, available at ericbusbypresents.com, iTunes, Stitcher, and everywhere else,
5: podcasts are available. Life has many strange
3: secrets, and none is stranger than the curse of the blood ghouls. Dark of night, they leave their tombs to satisfy their need for blood. Because these demons of the undead can exist only by ravishing the living. Let me go. With abnormal powers of love, they enslave the unwary. them the horrible telltale fang mark of the vampire life-devouring monsters in human form they can be anywhere everywhere Luis. no one is safe <laughs> destroying them will a town gone wild with terror and fear be free of the curse of the blood
5: ghouls Monster Kid Radio presents Dr. Tong's World of Monster Collectibles Spanning the globe looking for monster goo so you don't have to Line, the internet. We are moving into the Monster Library for this segment, taking a look at a couple of three books that have come out and should be on your Monster Kid radar. First up from Fanagraphics, we have James Warren, Empire of Monsters by Bill Shelley. This voluminous tome puts the spotlight on the money man behind Warren Publishing, known for putting out such classic magazines as Famous Monsters of Filmland, Vampirilla, Creepy, Eerie, and several other genre favorites. I found the book rather dry, and it was fairly light on the relationship between Uncle Forey and Warren, but it's still a good read overall. Uh, it did give a good look into the publishing game Warren set up in the late 50s and early 80s, and I rather enjoyed the artist's perspective on their whole experiences during those times. All in all, I say pick up a copy and give it a read. The next book I'm taking a look at has been out for some time. Well, that and I'm a really slow reader. But I had received it as a Christmas gift just this past year and found it rather entertaining. Then again, it doesn't hurt that I'm a huge William Castle fan. Step Right Up I'm Gonna Scare the Pants Off You, is an autobiography written by the main man himself, Mr. Castle. Originally copyrighted in 1979, the latest edition put out in 2010 includes a first-person eulogy by the now-dead Castle. The book gives some really nice insights into the genre and non-genre films Castle made throughout his career. In a non-literary layman term, I like this book a lot. This last book, I haven't had the pleasure of reading yet, but I wanted to make you aware of it if you aren't already. The Lady from the Black Lagoon, Hollywood Monsters and Lost Legacy of Millicent Patrick by Mallory Omira. This book delves into the life of Millicent Patrick, the woman that actually designed the suit for Universal's Creature from the Black Lagoon, but was never credited for it. Omira follows the trail through Patrick's life, outlining the prejudices that still exist in the film industry today. I'm looking forward to picking this one up. All three of these books are available through Amazon.com, so make sure you use the MKR link to Amazon so MKR gets a taste of that nice book cash. Artist Spotlight! This time I take a look at a super talented fella and one heck of a nice guy, Jeff Carlson over at Maniac Monster Designs. Hailing out of Peoria, Illinois, Jeff manages a fine cadre of finely crafted designs based on monsters from the glorious golden age, through B-movies of the 50s and 60s, up until slashers took over our theaters in the 80s. Carlson markets products of his original art on everything from stickers in different sizes to enamel pins, t-shirts, pre-made and the iron-on variety, as well as patches and even throw pillows. You can find him all about social media at Maniac Monster Designs on Facebook and his store on eBay as well. Also on Instagram as Maniac Monsters, all one word. Doctor says, check it out. Spotlight on Vintage Monster Toys. Talking about the James Warren biography got me to thinking back when I was a wee lad getting lost in the pages reading Famous Monsters of Filmland magazine. I was always enthralled with the very back of the issue that contained the Captain Company listings. The Campany Company, you say? That was the brainchild of James Warren, whose idea was to run a mail-order operation out of the pages of the magazine, designed to squeeze even more money out of the monster-loving public's pocket. Aside from movie monsters on Super 8, Aurora model kits, and the amazing Topstone masks, ad art. By the way, the masks never looked as good as that artwork. There was one item in particular I lusted after, but was never able to obtain. Well, until about four years ago, when one came into my possession. Of course, I'm talking about the coffin-shaped pendant containing actual real soil from Dracula's castle in Transylvanian mountains of Romania. Advertised heavily in the Warren publications, this coffin of dirt was happening. As the ad touted, Hanging from a golden-plated chain is suspended a transparent miniature coffin containing one gram of genuine earth from the exact place where Vlad Dracula once made macabre history. The Warren book even talks about how the FBI actually visited Warren to inquire about a package of dirt that a stewardess friend of his was trying to bring into the company from Romania so he could make the pendants and sell them here in the U.S. Although not that stylish as it would have been back in the disco 70s, the chain that is, this spooky little pendant looks great in any modern day monster collection. Hey all of you out there in MKR land, got any sneak peeks of monster merchandise coming out soon? Drop Derek a line and he will forward it along to me here at MKR. Until next time, this is Mark Dr. Tom Peterson saying happy monster collecting everybody. I'm out! Peace! <laughs> Introducing
3: Archivos, the story mapping and development tool for today's storytellers. With Archivos, storytellers don't just document the characters, places, and events of their stories. They define the relationships between those story elements and then visualize those connections through unique story mapping interfaces like the living map, the timeline, and the story web. By giving storytellers the ability to see and interact with that network of story elements, Archivos helps ensure story comprehension and continuity, while providing a dramatic and engaging way for fans to explore the story worlds they love. Learn more about Archivos at www.archivos.digital. That's A-R-C-H-I-V-O-S dot digital. Archivos. Your stories. Illuminated.
1: You will freeze as you
3: watch a warped scientist
1: become transformed into a godless beast when his bloody scalpel probes the forbidden secrets of a woman's flesh. In Atom Age Vampire, you will flame for the stark ritual of a beautiful girl's last searing dance. As tragedy forever mars her loveliness leaving her to face a world of terror. I give you my word that I will restore your face. Restore all your beauty. You will cringe as the Demented Doctor experiments with a girl's trusting innocence. But to possess the living miracle wrought by his twisted genius, he must forever sacrifice his soul to the cunning gods of evil. i transplant directly from another human being a mad creature born of the atomic age now shackled to a world of rotting bodies and violent death a sadist a criminal a depraved animal more ferocious than jekyll more monstrous than frankenstein more bloody than dracula fire a volley through the window pane. Will gasp as lust and madness stalk the darkened screaming night in Adam Age Vampire.
2: But the room was quiet. Had it been a nightmare? What woke him? Was the candle in the antique mirror moving? Was there something standing by the curtains? Was he mad?
1: The crimson cult. So terrifying they won't let us tell you about it here. She'd wandered alone. The passageway between the walls was damp and musty. She dropped her candle. And then I heard it. Now she has no head. It happened in Horror House. I was there. A nightmare combination of shock and terror. And you're invited behind forbidden doors. Horror House stars Frankie Avalon and Jill Hayworth. The Crimson Cult features Boris Karloff and Christopher Lee. See them together for the first time. But don't see them alone.
2: Rated GP. Hello, Monster Kid Radioheads. This is Kenny with a look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. This week's film was never featured in FM, so today we have a special Famous Monsters and Me. Former MKR guest and author of The Jack-o'-Lantern Box, Karen Kohotek, shared her Famous Monsters memory with us. Let's hear what she had to say about Famous Monsters number 142.
6: Hi Derek and the gang, this is Karen Joan Khodek calling in for Kenny's Famous Monsters and Me segment. I do have a Famous Monsters memory. I vividly remember buying the first issue I ever saw, which I still have. It was the 20th anniversary issue in February 1978. So I had never even heard of the magazine until its 20th anniversary issue. And I'm pretty sure the only reason that it snuck into the newsstand in my small town was for the same reason I bought it, is it had a giant picture of Darth Vader on the cover. And I was definitely one of those kids who would buy anything that had the word Star Wars printed on it. So I snatched this up and I was really fascinated by all of the articles. This one is more science fiction oriented, but there was a big article about Ray Harryhausen there were other things relating the contemporary science fiction blockbusters back to sort of the classic monster genre, and I think that's part of the reason why I kind of love Famous Monsters so much, is that even though I was buying it because of that reason, because of Star Wars, it tied me back into my love of monster movies from when I was a kid and learning that there was this larger sort of monster culture out there and that those older movies created the world in which these current movies could exist. It gave you some education and some context in its kind of fun and sometimes silly way. And so this was something that did become very important to me in my life. So I just wanted to share that because I just so vividly remember this giant Darth Vader head, and now looking at it, it looks just like one of the Star Wars trading card stickers, but floating over the words Dracula, Karloff, Cushing, Lee... And it sort of gives you everything right there in one picture.
2: Don't forget, we want to hear your famous monsters' memories. If you have them, send an email, letter, or audio file to Derek, and we will incorporate them in this series, Famous Monsters and Me.
3: Don't be alarmed, it's only a laser sword fight. Don't be scared. It's only the Death Star destroying another world. Relax. It's only a movie, and it's all for fun. Director George Lucas and 20th Century Fox present... Star Wars. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested.
1: Tonight, meet the twisted genius of Edgar Allan Poe. Experience a terrifying tale of druid witchcraft and the scream that kills. Cry of the Banshee. American International presents new heights in horror never before filmed. Vincent Price stars in this new adventure in Terror and Torture. Don't miss Cry of the Banshee. You'll learn to fear it, rated GP. Have you heard Black Clock Audio Tales is a daily podcast that reads you a story, either a whole short story or a novel, a chapter or two at a time. Join us for our exploration of old ghost stories, supernatural fiction, horror tales, folk tales, fantasy, gothic horror, weird fiction, and cosmic horror. And don't forget to join us for our monthly show about the Cthulhu mythos at the end of the month. Black Clock Audio on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Black Clock Audio Tales. Part of darkmyths.org.
4: Thank you.
2: Zombie! Halei! From award-winning author Stephen D. Sullivan,
7: White Zombie, a new novel, based on the classic motion picture.
8: What do you see, Neil asked. Madeline peered into the wine glass, pretending to be a fortune teller. And for a moment, her head reeled. She did see something within the depths of the cup. Terrible dark eyes staring up at her, boring into her mind. The eyes of that awful man they had encountered in the road. You see? She felt dizzy now, really dizzy, and her throat was tight as if cold hands were closing around her neck. What is it? Neil asked, concerned. The eyes burned into her. She couldn't breathe.
3: I see, she managed to gasp, death.
7: Available now in print and all ebook formats. Find it on Amazon, Smashwords, Drive-Thru Fiction, and other quality outlets. Also available in a special edition Including the complete movie script. Grab White Zombie before it grabs you. Details at sdceliban.com. There is no other way. Professor
2: Frenzy, it's a show. Professor Frenzy, show. Professor Frenzy,
1: it's a show. Professor Frenzy, show. Welcome
8: to Professor Frenzy's bedtime stories, created especially for Monster Kid Radio. My name is Jerry Green. In this segment, I'm going to tell you some stories contained in the E.C. Horror Comics. Today's story is The Wall from The Haunt of Fear number 15, which counterintuitively was the first issue of Haunt of Fear, the May-June issue from 1950. It was written by Bill Gaines and Al Feldstein, and the art was by Johnny Craig. So sit back, relax, and prepare for a creepy tale. Neil Harper was happily married to his wife Clara until the day they brought home Snooky the cat. Clara loved Snooky so much that Neil became an intruder in his own house. He had to go out in bad weather for milk for Snooky, had to give up his favorite chair for Snooky, even gave up his own bed if Snooky was sleeping on it. Snooky, 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 it made Neil crazy. One day, Neil wanted to read his book before bed, and Snooky sat defiantly on his chair. Neil had had enough. He angrily threw his book at the cat. Clara heard the commotion and came out and yelled at her husband. How dare he upset Snooky!" She picked up the kitty to comfort it. Neil grabbed a handy club and swung it at the cat. Unfortunately, he hit Clara. She fell to the floor, dead. What had he done? It was only an accident, but still... He had to hide Clara's body. Maybe he could put her in the furnace. Neil dragged his wife's dead body down the stairs and into the basement. He had recently done some renovations in the basement and there were stacks of extra bricks. He could just brick up Clara's body behind a brick wall. Great idea. As Neil began to build the wall, Snooky was getting in the way. The cat got on top of the wall and then by his wife's body and wouldn't stop meowing. He tried to shoo her away, but she always came back. Finally, Neil got the last bricks in place. The job was done, but he still heard Snooky meowing. He looked all over the house, but couldn't find the cat. He realized that he must have bricked the cat up with Clara. (laughs) Ha ha, he thought, serves the cat right. He suddenly felt exhausted from the efforts of the day and went to sleep. At night, he had terrible dreams and heard the cat's cries all night. Neil woke up as exhausted as he was the night before. Still, he heard the cat's cries. He couldn't have Snooky meowing and drawing attention to his handiwork. So as much as he would like to leave the cat in there with Clara's body, he decided to remove a few bricks from near the floor and grab the feline and pull her out. He crouched down and reached into the hole. But something grabbed his arm and wouldn't let go. He felt scratching and tearing at his arm. Help, help, somebody help me, he cried. His arm was being ripped to pieces. Two patrol cops heard the commotion and came to the basement to Neil's rescue. They pulled a few more bricks away from the wall to free him. Then, down the steps, came Snooky, the proud mother of a litter of kittens. Neil's arm came free from the hole in the wall, totally unscathed. What could have happened? Then the cops looked in the hole in the wall. What do we have here? A corpse. Looks like Neil is going to have some explaining to do. The end. I hope you enjoyed that spooky tale. It has elements of Pose the Black Cat and the Telltale Heart, but has a 1950s twist all its own. I like how we see the conflict between the couple and also the grudge poor old Neil has against Snooky and I think the reader can identify with him, up to a point. The art is just what you would expect from an EC comic. The opening page shows Neil cowering against the brick wall he would later build, complete with a hole in its base. While the situation lets the reader feel for him, he's drawn as an unpleasant man. There is one cool panel depicting Neil's dream that's set in the story after Clara has been killed. It shows her with vicious cat teeth, and her hands and nails are curled like claws as Neil tumbles across the panel. I have the recent hardcover collection of these comics, and I've heard some purists don't like the colors. But to be honest, I don't know enough about the original palette to make a judgment. They look good to me. If you're interested in a copy of this, the book can be purchased on Amazon, and you'll be able to find a link to buy it on the MKR website. I hope you enjoyed the story. My name is Jerry Green, and you can find me on my podcast, The Professor Frenzy Show, where we talk about new indie comics, and also Bat Books for Beginners, where we talk about historical Batman and Bat Family comics. You can also catch me on Twitter, at Professor Frenzy, and search for Professor Frenzy on YouTube, where you can find The Professor Frenzy Show and some exciting projects we have coming up. Stay tuned. And thanks for listening.
4: Uh-huh. Professor Franze, it's a show. Professor Franze, it's
1: a show. Professor Franze, it's a show. Professor Franze, it's a show. Now, living flesh and blood terror. Blood spilling, bone chilling, towering terrors in one twin thrill show. The Crawling Thing. As clutching terror reaches toward you, the scream you hear will be your own. It's too awesome to describe, too terrifying to escape, too powerful to stop. The Crawling Thing. Plus, from another world, the creature of evil. Half man, half monster, but all horror. Feel your throat grow tight with terror. Watch, listen, shudder, die. The Creature of Evil. Can you stand to see the most gruesome twosome ever made? The Calling Thing and The Creature of Evil. Produced in Hollywood by
4: Maniacs. <laughs> Hello everyone, I am Rod Barnett. I'm Troy Gwynn. And we are your hosts for NashyCast, the podcast about the films of Paul Nashy. We, for over five years, have brought you the joys of Spanish cinema, filtered through our brains to you. Yes. Now, what is it that qualifies two southern boys to talk about films that came out of Spain? And I can't think of a single thing. There's nothing that qualifies. Nothing. Nothing. Except that we just love them, love them, love them. We love them. Nashie Cast covers the films of Paul Nashi and... Any other Spanish horror film that we can pretend we know something about. Uh, yes. If you love beautiful women wearing incredibly short miniskirts in subarctic temperatures, <laughs> chased by werewolves in leisure suits. If you love Werewolves mm-hmm. Vampires Unidentifiable beasts Or crazy people Driving women around And talking like a maniac <laughs> <laughs> Yes Blind cats Beheadings with axes <laughs> Blood that looks like yeah. Melted crayons shambling zombies Yeah Some of the films That we've covered in the past Are Mark of the Werewolf Howl of the Devil Vengeance of the Zombies Or Arises from the Tomb Tombs of the Blind Dead Vampire's Night Orgy Oh Yes Join us on this journey through the golden age of Spanish horror, where Paul Nashi, Leon Klimovsky, Jess Franco, Amando Diazorio take us through a filter Espanol. Join us for the NashiCast.
1: Seven young people shipwrecked on a mysterious island. The island was deserted. Not even birds or animals dared to come here. What did they find? (coughs) Seaweed, fish, and turtle's eggs. Anything we can eat, as well as snakes and lizards. Just let me finish. There's a lot of grass growing around here. You can eat the roots. You can eat the roots of a lot of plants here. You never thought of that, did you? They were driven to the edge of starvation. Food was scarce and they were forbidden to eat the mushrooms that grew on the island. Fear and hunger turned them against
2: each other.
4: I'll kill you. tango will help me live.
3: I haven't been hungry since I left the ship.
2: Maybe. Oh,
3: help me, help me. Please, can't we eat the mushrooms now?
5: That would really be the end of us. Akiko!
1: horrible mushrooms Matongo the vegetable monster can they escape the dreaded Matongo you'll find out when you see Matongo
0: this is Count Dracula and I'm here to offer you a friendly warning Derek and his guests often get excited. And occasionally this results in revealing key plot points of the movies they're discussing. You know how the children of the night, ah I mean monster kids, can get sometimes. So consider yourself warned. And don't come begging to me to kill them for their transgressions afterward. I
4: have more pressing issues to take care of. Like that Pesky Von Helsing.
0: Listeners, you've heard him on the show before. Uh, kind of in passing at the Lovecraft Film Festival, you might remember him as one of the biggest fans of Matongo that I've ever met. <laughs> and I'd like to welcome him to Monster Kid Radio proper. Oren Gray, how are you doing?
7: I'm doing well. Thank you for having me back on.
0: Yeah, this is something that I've been wanting to do for a while. I've wanted to have you on the show proper for quite some time. I mean, we kind of travel in the same circles online, and like I said, at the festival as well. So to have you on the show... To talk about a really interesting film is a treat for me.
7: I'm really excited to talk about it. I was very excited to get to see it when it came out on Blu-ray finally because I'd heard about it for so long. So
0: I think a lot of people were not really super aware of these films, but we'll, we'll talk about that. First, I want to talk about you. Woo! <laughs> so you are an author. I know you. I knew you as an author first. I mean, I, I stumbled across your books, and you used to write for the Innsmouth Free Press website before it kind of just went straight to book publishing. Mm-hmm. And I know you're a monster kid, so of course we're friends. Woo! <laughs> what are you writing these days?
7: I'm always writing uh, good, you know, creepy, weird stories with monsters in them uh, whenever I can. I've been focused a lot on doing stuff that involves film in some way um, because I just I love film and I love to write about film. And as I write more and more, do more and more film writing um, for, you know, reviews and websites and, and doing things like this. Uh, It it gives me more fodder to draw from to write stories, and so a lot of the stories I've been writing recently have have dealt with film in either direct or more indirect ways.
0: I will make sure there's links to everything that you've got going on on the website over at monsterkidradio.net, of course, but listeners, you need to check out what Oren's up to. He's got... Right now, available for pre order, uh, a follow up to his book Monsters from the Vault, which was a collection of the columns that you used to write for the Inc.'s Free Press website and some new material too, right?
7: Yeah. So the original volume was all the columns I did. Okay. And the reason the second volume's is happening is partly that I had been writing ahead when I was doing the columns. So when the book came out, that was all the ones that had been published up to that point. And the, about the same time the book actually came out, the site folded up. I had written like a year's worth of columns still that never went to the site. And so I was like, well, I have to do something with these. And I was going to just put them up on my blog or, or put them as Patreon rewards back when I started Patreon. But I decided that none of that felt right. So I talked with Sylvia and we decided to go ahead and do a, a second book. So it'll be all the columns I had written in advance and then a bunch more like 50 more Uh, in addition to that that I wrote over the last couple of years.
0: And it's uh, Revenge of Monsters from the Vault and like I said, it's available for pre-order now so I'll make sure again, links in the show notes, everything, and just to kind of read from your website, the book's going to have material on ape fiends, invisible dinosaurs, wax museums, devil bats, zombies, hunchbacks, haunted stranglers, cat people, flying serpents, and so on. So yeah, it's it's definitely something monster kids need to have in their (laughs) library, I think.
7: Absolutely. (laughs) And actually the movie we're about to talk about today is going to be in there
0: yeah which is not something i planned i think (laughs) maybe i did i don't know i've seen so many movies (laughs) recently and really kind of trying to find the more obscure and bizarre ones and i think it was you mentioning that you were watching this on facebook that made me think okay i gotta pull the trigger i gotta get him on the show we gotta do this
7: this is a great one i think for for me to come and talk about like it's it's very me so
0: (laughs) excellent excellent now the books that we just talked about are nonfiction, but you've got a lot of fiction collections as well from Word Horde Press. The most recent one was, was that Gagnol? Genial, yeah, and other sardonic tales, which is a collection of uh, short stories in the horror, weird fiction, vein, supernatural stories. There's 14 of them in there. I've read it. I, I've got it on my Kindle, and and I dig it quite a bit. It's got the Monster Kid Radio Seal of Approval. Thank you. And you've also turned up in other anthologies over the years as well. And I'm always eager to read more of your work.
7: Thank you very much. I've got I've got a lot of stuff coming out. In the near future, I'm hoping to have another collection in the next couple of years. I just got into uh, year's best horror again, which it always takes me by surprise when it happens. So it's been a big thrill for me.
0: Well, congratulations on that. Thank you. One of the things that we do here on the show is a game. It's an icebreaker. We call it the Classic Five. And basically what it is, I've got a deck of cards here, uh, and I'm going to give them a quick shuffle. Each one of these cards has a question on them, of this or that. Which movie do you prefer style question? It's just kind of to talk a little bit about more classic monster stuff, kind of an icebreaker. I know I called it a game, but really it's just a conversation starter. So okay, are you ready to play the Classic Five, sir?
7: Sure, I'm ready to try. We'll see All how right. it goes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, great. Card number one, right off the top who never appeared in a universal monster film but you wish they had
7: i mean like the obvious answers were someone like peter cushing or uh chris <laughs> lee who would have been working i mean a little bit back then but there was kind of very little overlap there
4: mm-hmm.
7: um i kind of wish uh i kind of wish humphrey bogart had gotten to do something other than return of dr x um, he hated that movie but <laughs> i i liked him in it so you know I'd wish more ill on him.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right on. All right. Card number two, what do you prefer? Hammer horror or hammer science fiction?
7: Oh, God, that's tough. I prefer hammer horror. Mm-hmm. But every time I say that, I think about, you know, like the Gator Mask movies, which I love dearly. And so it's, it's very hard. But yeah, I'm going to have to go with horror. I love their gothic stuff.
0: Oh, yeah. They were so good at it. Yeah. All right. Card number three, what's your favorite Ed Wood film?
7: Mm. <laughs>
0: <laughs> These aren't supposed to be easy.
7: <laughs> yeah. I mean, probably Plan 9, but, I mean, it's probably also the one I've seen the most, so that may just be, like, defaulting. I have watched Bride of the Monster a lot of times because I have the MST of it. Hmm. Um, but I think I'm going to have to go with uh, Plan 9.
2: It is safe to state that the grandchildren of some of the people in this theater will not be born on Earth. They come from the bowels of hell, a transformed race of walking dead, zombies guided by a master plan for complete domination of the earth. Plan Nine from outer space, starring the most marish cast ever: Bella Lugosi, the seductive vampira, and Thor Johnson as the walking dead.
3: Turn
2: off your electrode gun! No! No! Stop it, Dennis! I can't get it! It's jammed! Stop him, you fool! Bullets bounce off their bodies. Rockets, missiles, jets cannot stop their death ships. What earthly power can stop this terror? For a glimpse of things to come, see this blast of screen suspense. For it could be happening right now.
0: Card number that was one three, so card number four, what is your favorite mummy movie?
7: I'm pretty sure actually the Brendan Fraser one. Oh, wow. As, as much as as much as that probably lowers my street cred. I love that movie.
0: You know, it's a fun, pulpy romp. There's yeah. nothing wrong with that.
7: I, you know, I, I saw it at the theaters and I was young then and it was just such a blast and it's still fun, and, and I love Rachel Wise, and I love her, you know, I'm a librarian line, and it's just, it's good stuff.
0: <laughs> Not, no worries about three credit here. There are no wrong answers. This is a safe place, man. It's good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, final card, card number five. What prop from a classic monster movie would you like to own?
7: I feel like I'm going to get this one wrong no matter what I say, but um, <laughs> uh, I'd love to have a tingler. Like, that's the first thing that jumps to my head. Yeah? Like, an actual tingler, that would be amazing. I don't know what I'd do with it. Just put it on a shelf somewhere. But <laughs>
0: <laughs> do, do you have one of Dominique's Stingley? Did she give you one? I don't
7: yet, actually. Oh. Um, like, well, I keep thinking I'm going to see her again, but I haven't made it out to HPLFF the last year. So I was sick last year and, and didn't make it out, and so I don't know when I'm going to be back out there. So I, I was going to pick one up in person, so I don't have one yet.
0: Well, I know she's going to be at the Monster Bash convention in June, so I don't, you know, make your way over there. I'm just just saying. We'll, you know. we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, <laughs>
7: no, I think I think my travel plans this year are filled out. I'm I'm doing uh, the Outer Dark later this month oh, wow. uh, in Atlanta, and then I'm going to Necronomicon in August. So I think I think that's all I got in me this year.
0: Necronomicon is uh, it's biannually, isn't it? Yeah, every yeah. other year in Rhode Island, huge Lovecraft convention. I've never been, I've always wanted to, so I have to live vicariously through my friends like Oren, who go to Necronomicon and post about it on Facebook.
7: <laughs> I've, I've actually never, this will be my first time. Oh, okay. I've, I've, I've tried to go every previous time, and every time something has come up, so I'm keeping my fingers crossed that nothing comes up this time.
0: <laughs> I, like I said, I'd love to go some year, but yeah, I'll just, again, I'll have to watch all my friends on Facebook having a great time. <laughs>
7: um, it's a long, it's a long ways from you. Like, I'm, uh, it I'm, is. I'm right in the middle, so. Yeah. It is it is equal distance for me to go to either either or it. So
0: yeah, it's it's pretty easy for me to hit the the Lovecraft Film Festival. It's like a twenty minute drive, and I'm there. So yeah, yeah, so yeah. There's that. Well, that was the the classic five. Uh, I think I think you passed. I know I said there were no wrong answers, but I still think you won. So, <laughs> so we're good here. We're good. Good, good, good. So the movie we're talking about. It's got a number of different titles. Uh, The one that has been released as under, excuse me, the one that's under that has been released as on, I can't even talk right now. It's on Blu-ray right now as the vampire doll. There you go. (laughs) Came out in 1970. It's the first part of the so-called Bloodthirsty Trilogy. And this is going to come up every time I talk about one of these movies in this set. It's not really a trilogy where you have to watch part one, then part two, part three. They're all kind of standalones. They may have some similar themes and looks in the same director, but really they're all individual stories, which I think works well. These movies are kind of nice and tight and efficient storytelling. You said this is one that you were really excited about talking about. When was the first time you saw it?
7: The first time I saw it was whenever the Blu-ray came out. Oh, okay. I I had pre-ordered the Blu-rays without having seen any of the movies. Okay. Okay. It uh, looks like it was last year, actually, about about this time last year. I had heard of the movies, but had never seen any of them. And when I got the Blu-ray set, I just watched them in order, you know, one, two, three. I would totally agree with you that they're not they're not actually a trilogy. They're more like a triptych.
0: Yeah, that's a better way to put it.
7: But I'm I'm sure if you'd put that on the cover, it wouldn't have sold as well. So <laughs>
0: <laughs> it was the same situation for me. I, I had heard about them kind of in passing, but I never really sought them out or thought to track them down until the Blu-ray came out. I pre-ordered the Blu-ray as well, just on the strength of word on the street of these films, and that Arrow Video always does an amazing job, so...
7: They do. Arrow Blu-rays are always worth the price of admission.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, do you have a multi-region Blu-ray player so you can get the stuff from overseas?
7: I don't. I have thought about it multiple times, and what always prevents me from pulling the trigger is that if I don't, I can't get the things from overseas, and that prevents me from buying way more movies than I already buy, which is too many, (laughs) so... This, this is a way to save my my money and shelf space no, for now. Well,
0: well, for, okay, okay, fair <laughs> enough, fair enough. I, I My wallet knows your pain. I totally understand what you're saying. <laughs> I love my multi-region Blu-ray player. It was one of the best things I could ever invest in, but it's probably one of the worst yeah. things that I should have invested in for that very reason.
7: Yeah, someday I'm going to get one. Like, I'm going to break down and get one someday, but I haven't yet.
0: Uh, what about Toho Films in general? Because they're the ones that put these films out. How... I mean, obviously Godzilla, but were you really, Oh, well, on Matongo, were you overly aware of what Toho was up to other than the kaiju stuff? I mean, not
7: hugely. I had seen some of the other stuff like like Matango, and uh, I, I'd seen some other stuff that was contemporary to these movies from Japan, but I didn't really know which studio was doing what. Mm-hmm. It was just kind of a, uh, for, for me, the, the sort of selling point was I, I loved the hammer gothic, Horror movies, and I loved a lot of the stuff that Toho and other studios in Japan were doing around the time this movie came out. And so these movies came out, and so I really wanted to see those two things like crash into one another. (laughs) And you know, I wasn't disappointed.
0: Yeah, for me, I mean, I knew Toho did more than just the monsters. You know, I knew that. I knew they did the Kurosawa films and a few other things as well. I mean, I know they weren't just a kaiju factory, but Mm -hmm. again, I wasn't overly aware of, of these films and. I watched the Kim Newman talk he gives about the bloodthirsty trilogy on the blu-ray set. And he makes an excellent point. I mean, There's the legendary, supposedly Japanese horror of Dracula cut that's got a little extra gore in it, which kind of implies that Japan really liked those movies. So, of course, they're going to make some vampire movies of their own. right? And I do see that in this one. I don't see as strong a hammer in the first film as I do say, like, in the second. I mean, there are some elements, and and Kim Newman nailed it when he said this. I do pick up a lot of the Roger Corman, Edgar Allan Poe type Mm -hmm. vibe in this one. Oh, yeah. And it's not a traditional vampire. It's not the, I'm in a coffin, I'm going to grow fangs, I'm going to bite you on the neck, you know, that sort of thing. It's it's a little more spooky, which I really liked. Well,
7: one of the things they talk about in the, the booklet that came with the Blu-rays is that, yeah, they, they don't necessarily actually always use the, like, when they translated to use the term vampire but the original title doesn't necessarily use the word vampire especially for this first one they think it's like blood sucking or something is what they translate it to more directly but but you know it's it's an interesting take on on vampirism she doesn't have fangs she has a knife instead and getting into the ending which we can probably talk about as we go along sure. but it definitely gets into some very very Edgar Allan Poe territory by the
0: end yeah uh, some of the other titles were like you said blood sucking doll uh, the ghost mansion is horror things along those lines I'm sure Vampire was thrown in to try to sell a few more, put a few more butts in the seat, so to speak. Right. Uh, but it definitely has more of a uh, Poe-ish, very ghost-like quality to it, which I really responded to well. I feel like the, the atmosphere in the film is just engaging it held on to me the entire time i even actually kind of forgot to start reading the subtitles (laughs) because i'm (laughs) so wrapped up in some of the visuals and and the performances it's beautiful oh it looks so good and that's something about all the films in this set i feel like the cinematography is just stunning
7: they look great they look amazing and of the three this is definitely my favorite partly because it feels to me, as the set goes along, they feel more and more like they could have been, you know, Euro horror films that just happen to have a Japanese cast. This first one feels more distinct from the stuff that Europe was putting out at the time. It, it feels more different than the other two do. And I think that's interesting. I think it's really interesting to see the the kind of, like, all the beats are standard gothic beats, mm-hmm. but to, they're, they're done in a unique way in this film, I think.
0: Yeah, I could see, like, that evolution taking place which is interesting i would have thought it might have gone the other way around where you start with more of right. a, a direct for lack of a better term riff on a hammer film and then kind of incorporating its own thing and become its own thing this definitely has a more japanese ghost-like quality to it than the other two have you watched a lot of japanese genre cinema
7: a, a lot is relative, I suppose, <laughs> but I've watched a fair bit. When the J-horror boom happened, I watched a ton of whatever they brought over then, and I've dug up some other stuff since. And so I've watched a lot of the stuff from the 90s through the present, more than the older stuff. Okay, I've tried to go back and find the older stuff where I could, um... And it's just kind of a catch as catch can sort of thing.
0: This does have something that I didn't expect because it is an older film. I typically associate the uh, the geysers of blood <laughs> <laughs> uh, with a more the more recent J horror. You know, having watched some of that stuff uh, mm-hmm. before, I kind of expected that not to happen here but yeah we've got it we've got the, you know apparently Japanese humans have much tinier blood vessels and much stronger heart pumps
7: Uh, they're they're just they're just sacks full of pressurized blood
0: pretty pretty much yeah so we do get that here too
7: Uh, I I feel like that is from samurai films Um, like yeah contemporary to this you know we would have been getting um, samurai films like um, like Lady Snowblood and things like that I don't remember what your Lady Snowblood was but Lady Snowblood is wall-to-wall geysers of blood sure
0: I didn't associate it with more uh classic horror I guess you know Lady Snowblood yeah. it's it's a violent film it's got a lot of that in there but I don't really consider that like a, a genre film per se whereas right. I just it was interesting to see that kind of ported over to this like oh well okay uh,
7: and, it's, and it's the only time it happens like right the rest of the film is very sedate and then you get this geyser of blood at the very end yeah
0: <laughs> which adds to the impact I guess yeah it's like surprise <laughs> You're in the splash zone. Um, yeah, <laughs> uh, Lady Snowblood was seventy-three.
7: I, was like, I knew it had to be close. I knew it was early seventies. I just didn't know what year. So
0: right around that time, this one, uh, this film. How would you describe the story to somebody who's never seen it? Like, how would you kind of break it down?
7: So story-wise, it's a very familiar gothic story. You know, it's got a guy who goes to visit his fiance and finds out that she's dead. And he goes to her family's like manor house out in the country, and he takes a cab there in the rain. Just replace the cab with a carriage, and you know, you're you're in. Like old dark house territory. Sure. It's got creepy doorman and people looking <laughs> through keyholes and all the stuff, lightning strikes and bats and all the stuff you'd expect from a gothic movie. But then it's also got the kind of psycho story structure where the first guy that you meet is actually kind of your red herring protagonist. It's actually his sister looking for him that is the main meat of the story because he goes to, you know, to find his fiance and finds that she's dead and something happens to him. And then his sister goes looking. And so that the rest of the movie follows his sister and her friend, boyfriend, I don't know, trying to figure out what happened and Mm -hmm. sort of solve the, solve the mystery of this spooky old house. That's strangely Western.
0: (laughs) I did notice that the production design of, of, where they're at does not feel the quote unquote, traditional Japanese architecture,
7: yeah, and they do talk about it. Like like she mentions that, like her her husband was a diplomat or something with the West, and he built the house, and everything that the mom does. So, I mean, like, they do talk about it, but yeah, it's, it's odd.
0: <laughs> so, I'm recording the episodes on the Bloodthirsty Trilogy out of order. In fact, yesterday I recorded with uh, Kenneth Height about the second film in the set, and he brought up the same thing you just did, this kind of Hitchcockian build, uh, which... It's not something I considered when I watched these films until Ken brought it up. And now I can't help but see it with, with the psycho buildup. And, mm-hmm. you know, he even name dropped you and said you should write something kind of based on whatever. But you'll hear that in the episode. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, But it was really interesting to hear him bring that up. And then you just said that kind of psycho structure. And I don't know if it's because I don't always associate Hitchcock with the classic genre stuff that I'm into. I I know I probably should because there is a lot of crossover and overlap. But now that, and you just said it here too, I totally see it. You know, he's the Janet Lee. (laughs)
7: Yeah.
0: Spoiler for Psycho.
7: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. If you haven't seen Psycho somehow, we won't be making any sense to you. Yeah.
0: (laughs) But no, you're absolutely right. That's...
7: Huh. I probably wouldn't have noticed it if I hadn't gotten used to writing about these old movies a lot, mm-hmm. because I'm, I'm kind of now attuned to sort of seeing the, oh, okay, Psycho came out, and then this started happening, and then, you know, this other thing came out, and then this started happening, as people, you know, picked up on the, the popularity of something and mm-hmm. reproduced it, whether or not they were even consciously reproducing it in this case, or whether it was just sort of a, by now, this is not a weird thing anymore, so it just happened, I don't know, you know this isn't homicidal where it's like super obvious. Oh, psycho just came out. Let's remake psycho. Exactly.
0: I love doing that though. I love, especially from this vantage point of 2019, we have so many movies available to a streaming blu-ray, whatever we can go into the history of the films and see what begat, what begat, what begat, you know? And, and that's just,
7: yeah, it's one of my favorite things. Honestly, it's one of the reasons I love writing about films from this era. Besides that, I just love the films Mm -hmm. is that, is that we can see them, in a kind of a more holistic way than we can see modern films, because we can see like all the webs that connect them to other films, sure. and like when we're trying to talk about modern films, we're also kind of stuck in that web, so we can't really see how far it spreads.
0: Right? Yeah. I mean, I, I've always been fascinated with where like Godzilla came from and how you can trace it back to Ray Harryhausen and King Kong and everything else going on there. And I used to do a segment on this podcast years ago called the creature connection, where I would connect everything to the creature from the black lagoon, because that's my favorite film. And (laughs) of course I'm going to do that. Uh, uh, But yeah, it's really interesting to kind of see where these things came from. And I definitely see a strong, the old dark house vibe here. and the old dark house. The, the Karloff film is amazing. Oh, oh, my God. Oh, so it's, good. It's one of my
7: favorite films.
0: Uh, the Hammer version from the 60s by William Castle. Probably <laughs> not one of my favorites. Um, yeah, that one.
7: I, I believe I introduced that to Dominique by telling her something like, uh, you know, that's it's definitely a film. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, that's that's my response a lot of times to things. That I, yeah, that It's a movie.
7: Yeah. It <laughs> yeah, was made up of moving pictures. Also sounds. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Yeah, Tom posted in there. Yeah, that um yeah, that it one was, it That was, was quite a thing. It was a challenge. Uh, but the original one with Karloff is phenomenal.
7: It's amazing. And it is it is amazing.
0: Kind of set the mold for a lot of what the old Dark House style movies would be for a long time. And I could see again that connection, that connective tissue. Mm -hmm. extending as far out as this film and thankfully it did because the way this film is shot especially inside of the house with all the shadows and all the things kind of lurking in the back and the vampire girl the quote-unquote vampire girl popping up in the corners it's just great
7: it's been it's such a beautiful movie and i forget her name but the lady who plays the the quote-unquote vampire is incredible in the role she does such a great job with with basically nothing like you know she doesn't really speak and she just has this super creepy smile that is just aces oh yeah and the golden contacts which we'll have to talk about more because they're really cool
0: yeah i was going to bring that up the look of the vampires in these films the again quote-unquote vampires in these films is definitely unique it's not the traditional you see the fangs you see the cape they turn into a bat you don't have any of that Mm-hmm. You just have this really pale face, which is, I'm sure, connected to the Japanese ghost stories. And then you have those eyes, which is something I hadn't seen before.
7: I, I love the the look of the the golden contacts in this and they're in Lake of Dracula, too. not as much in the third one, but yeah, but yeah, and they're amazing. And I actually, so when I was writing about this film, I wrote about it for all three of these films for unwinnable when when I first saw them. And uh, when I was doing my research for that, I came across this claim that, connected the golden contacts with a photograph that was taken in 1963 by Christer Stromholm of a uh, girl that was scarred and blinded by the atomic bomb. Oh, the name of the photograph is blind girl. And if you find it online, you can see like whether, whether or not it it actually was like the claim is apocryphal. Like no one knows for sure, I guess whether it was actually connected, but, but when you look at it, you can definitely see a, a similarity there. So it's not unreasonable.
0: Okay, and what was the photographer's name?
7: Christer Stromholm.
0: No, I want to see it. Yeah. Oh, wow.
7: Yeah. Oh,
0: my. That's, uh, listeners, I'm going to make sure there's a link to this as well in the show notes because this is...
7: I mean, again, I I don't see that there would be unless there was someone from the production who could claim who could say one way or the other. I don't know how you would ever tell for sure. But when when someone had drawn the comparison, I was like, yeah, I can't unsee that now.
0: Yeah, I'm this is going (laughs) to this is going to haunt me. This photo is going. Wow. Okay. sorry. I'm just (laughs) I I got to close that window. Uh, (laughs) Staring at me, man. Uh, I totally see the connection there as well. And again, that's something that is. Unique to the Japanese culture and to Japanese experience, that could influence the horror films much like what happened with Godzilla and these other things. Oh, just yeah. to kind of see that creep in—that's the other thing that I love about watching these older films. I've talked about this on the show endlessly. They're not just movies; they're also kind of sociological studies, and, right. and you can see what's going on in the culture and the history and the mores of the time and. It's just fascinating to me and to see all these things kind of coalesce into one particular film, whether it's a Godzilla movie or this.
7: And I mean, and even if that is an accident, the shadow of the war absolutely hangs over the film like enormously. I mean, it it is the catalyst that drives all the bad things that happen. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, again, we're getting into spoilers, but the guy who commits the act that kicks all of this off does it because he went off to war. That's what begins all of the horror.
0: Yeah, if that didn't happen. Right. Well, we wouldn't have a story. Right. <laughs> you know?
7: Um, and I mean, it, it's, it's definitely that sense that, you know, the war left these scars on the world. In this case, it took the form of this horrible, you know, vampire girl, in
0: quotes. The movie's called The Vampire Doll on the release. It's probably a reference to that little statue that he finds.
7: Probably. Although there are lots of creepy dolls in the movie.
0: There are. There <laughs> are. Uh, and when he dropped it and it broke, it was like, oh, well, now we did it. Yeah. <laughs> He just let whatever was in there out. This is the first thing I thought. (laughs) Not necessarily what happens exactly, but you know, as soon as that happens, like, oh, okay, here we go.
7: Yeah, that was always going to end badly. (laughs)
0: Um, I spoke with uh, author Douglas Clegg years ago on my old podcast and uh, he told me that most of the horror stories that are good, you know, typically start because somebody just made the wrong decision at some point. Now they're just paying for it now. And yeah, that was the wrong decision, man. <laughs> don't don't drop these things. <laughs> um, I also really liked, you know, I mentioned, we've talked about the inside of the home. I also really liked the grave scene. Oh, the yeah. The grave stuff. Just, again, there's just something kind of stunning and, and beautiful about it.
7: Well, and it's one of those things where so everything around it, to a large extent, could very easily have been lifted, like, straight from any, you know, European uh, Gothic movie. But that grave scene totally couldn't because of that like tall grass that's you know the specific kind of tall grass that they have in japan and it gives that grave scene such a beautiful look but it also gives it that sound of the wind and the tall grass that you wouldn't you wouldn't have like in a you know in a european horror film it would be on the moors or something and there'd be fog instead mm-hmm. you know they're very japanese but also very distinct uh, tall grass and that sound of the wind in it and it's it's just beautiful Beautiful
0: stuff. I'm glad you brought that up because I was also going to comment on the sound. I'm a sound guy, you know. I, I, I po- I've been podcasting for ten <laughs> years. Of course I am. Uh, you know, there is something about the sound of this one that I actually prefer to the other two. The the sound design, especially when they're outside, and that the the way that wind kind of goes through and kind of blankets everything mm-hmm. in that grave. Sec- Again, it's it's beautiful. It's almost comforting in a way, but there's just one thing that's off. It's just you don't want to get too comfortable, right. but it. You want to be comfortable. <laughs> yeah, and
7: I I really liked, on all three films, the scores. Oh, yeah. And I think this one's my favorite, again, of the three. But they get kind of weirder as they go along. This first one is a little more sedate. Uh, a score but i think it's really effective
0: uh so the composer was and i mispronounced it when i talked with ken i'm sure i'm gonna mispronounce it here too richiro manabe
7: sounds right as far as i know but
0: and every time i mention a japanese name i always have to follow it up with dominique's gonna have to sit me down and teach me how to speak japanese at some point or at least (laughs) read it out loud uh he did a couple of godzilla films and i mentioned this with ken too he did godzilla versus megalon and i believe he did the one with Hetera as well Uh, Yeah, Godzilla versus Heteros. So, listeners, you may have already heard this guy's music if you've watched a lot of Godzilla movies. And knowing that he did Godzilla versus Megalon totally makes sense that the music gets weirder and weirder as we go.
7: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, if that makes sense.
0: <laughs> oh, but I love that film. Love me some Jaguar.
7: So I owned like two or three Godzilla movies on VHS when I was a little kid, and that was one of them. So, yeah, it's one of the ones I watched hundreds of times. <laughs> <laughs> I remember it being good stuff. I haven't seen it in a few years. Probably shouldn't.
0: <laughs> <laughs> See, I came to the Godzilla films much later in life. So when I watch them, there's this kind of sense of nostalgia that I missed out on, which is a weird kind of thing, but I love them. Anyway, uh, and i could talk about godzilla movies for hours so i'm gonna try to get us back on track here kind of so the director of this uh yamamoto he did all three Mm -hmm. i am not familiar with this guy i don't know anything about him did you stumble across anything about him at all nothing to speak of and kim newman in that special feature kind of implies that he didn't really do much after this he kind of just kind of came and went and that was that
7: he's only got like 10 credits
0: and some of it's television yeah. Which means the chances of us seeing it here in America, very, very slim, I think.
7: When I rewatched this, I'm, I'm going to get off the subject of the director for a moment. But when I rewatched this, I watched it with a group of friends. Oh, okay. The first time I watched it, I watched it alone. But when I rewatched it before before talking with you, I watched it with a group of friends. And they loved the the guy who played Genzo, the, the creepy doorman. <laughs> um, yeah. I looked him up on IMDb while, while we were watching. And he's been in like over 100 movies. Wow. Some of which I have seen, I'm pretty sure, and just didn't recognize him because, you know, he doesn't have the goofy fake teeth and <laughs> doesn't look like a weird, creepy doorman. But yeah, I was like looking him up. I was like, oh, no, he's been in just a million things.
0: Kaku Takashina is the uh, actor I think we're talking about here. And yeah, I'm looking yeah. at his filmography here, too. So the final film entry, he played a character called the Master of Liquor Maker, which just sounds amazing. Um <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I mean, there's a lot of stuff here, and I'm sure I've seen some of this. Oh, he did an Ultraman thing, so yeah, I'm sure I've seen him. He was in a lot of stuff. So this is a guy that I'd like to see more of, because he was just fun.
7: He does such a great job in this. At once, this very stock character, and also this character that is kind of over the top, but he's great.
0: (laughs) (laughs) With the goofy teeth.
7: Yeah, with the goofy teeth.
0: What did you think of the Doctor?
7: He's really, really creepy when he starts being creepy, and I, I feel like... Okay, again, the other two movies in this trilogy are are good movies and I enjoy them, but they're more what we're used to from a gothic film in a lot of ways. It's so, like you have an actual vampire and he's being a vampire and, you know, and this one, it it takes this very dark turn at the end as you you learn that, you know, it's, it's this this human guy who just did these terrible, terrible things and is just letting them continue to happen. And he killed all these people and he raped this woman. And this is the daughter of that assault and now he has turned her into this walking corpse essentially in order to keep her alive like in a state of suspended animation it's just like the amount of awful things this one guy has done for basically no reason right other than because he wants to like because he can't let go of this idea is just staggering when it's all revealed
0: i felt like the reveal kind of came all oh, at once. Right. I mean, he's introduced as this doctor guy. Oh, he's a doctor and he's this you know, mild mannered little guy. And then we learn everything that he's got. Yeah. Oh, my.
7: Yeah. And like there's one moment, and it's easy to lose. I didn't, I don't think I noticed it the first time through, but I noticed it rewatching it. Like when it first shows him doing his hypnotism, the light gradually drops out. So that eventually it's just him against a black backdrop. Mm-hmm. And it's this very creepy effect that like really really sells this bit of exposition he's doing as he's hypnotizing the guy. Because as he's hypnotizing, he's also telling him what all he did. He's laying out his plan essentially <laughs> as he's hypnotizing this guy. And as he's doing it, the light just fades gradually. It's very creepy.
0: And that's something that I really loved about all three of these films the cinematography, the use of light and shadow. Yeah, they're yeah. It's, it's something that I don't really expect to see in a lot of the uh, similarly themed or budgeted horror movies from the Western world,
7: a lot of the Hammer films are beautiful, and a lot of the sets are a lot of the sets are beautiful, especially. But a lot of times, you know, you're working with a situation where you know you you've got a pretty simple setup for each shot, for the most part. You know, there there are a lot of fairly simple setups. There's not a lot of weird playing with angles or, mm-hmm. or lighting or mm-hmm. that kind of stuff as often. And, and yeah, this definitely had that. It reminded me a little bit of The Uninvited from the '40s the scene when the first time they go into the Bluebeard room, uh, in, in the uninvited and they're talking about what happened there and everything. And yeah, you know, sure. It's, it's the sun setting outside and the light gradually fades out until you can hardly like the two actors are sitting next to each other, but you can hardly see them anymore. And it's, you know, just a beautiful, beautiful shot that really sells the scene and some of the shots in this kind of
0: reminded me of that. Guess I'm going to have to go back and rewatch the uninvited now. Darn. <laughs> <laughs> Um, oh, no! I understand, and I agree with you regarding the Hammer films. I love the Hammer films. I adore Terrence Fisher as a director. Oh. I love all that stuff. That said, when you compare this to, say, I don't know, Dracula 80, 1972, which came out a few years later from Hammer, the lighting choices are so different. The cinematography is so different. We don't get the lights and shadows. We, we get some bright, garish colors, but... You know, they really wanted right. to make sure we saw those colors so they don't hide them. And in this film, they, they hide some of the stuff or hide yeah. some of the material on screen so that you have to focus on what the doctor is saying. You can't not look away from him because that's all you can see. And I'm sure that was a decision, a, a purposeful decision by the filmmakers.
7: Yeah, yeah, I agree. And it's they're just beautiful films. All three of these films are really gorgeous. Yeah. More so than I would. Yeah, I think a lot of films from this era are gorgeous, but I don't always expect to see. I don't know, the, the amount of, of elaborate cinematography, but not like showy cinematography, just more than I was expecting that went on in all three of these movies.
0: It's, it's subtly executed. Yeah. yeah. Which, again, adds to the strength of the film. Before we started recording, you said you had some other notes and such. What, what else about the movie do you think people need to know about? Um, without spoiling what you wrote about it in the book that people need to pre-order.
7: <laughs> um, yeah, so in the book I wrote about all three films kind of in one huge essay, which again, okay. uh, you, don't, you don't actually have to order the book for It's also up on Unwinnable. It's the same essay that I wrote for them.
0: Hey, now we're trying to get you some sales here, man. Come on. <laughs> I know, I know, I know.
7: Well, buy, buy the book for the other like 60 movies. Okay.
0: Um,
7: <laughs> I definitely wanted to talk about, again, talk a little bit more about the Poe, quality of that ending when i first watched the movie i went into it expecting you know a vampire movie right because it had vampire right in the name <laughs> and what what you get is is something similar to that but also different as we've talked about already but like the end reveal of what she actually is is essentially the exact reveal of the facts of the case of ben valdemar she is a dead person who is kept from dying by hypnotism <laughs> and as soon as the hypnotism's is broken she goes all the way to the extent that she would have gone had it not happened like it's Just the facts in the case of M. Valdemar, which fascinated me. Like, that was such an odd use of that story trope to just like show up in the end of my vampire movie that I loved it. I was really happy with
0: that. Uh, Facts in the case of M. Valdemar is one of my favorite post stories. Yeah. It's phenomenal. Uh, I love the segment in uh, Tales of Terror that that presents that, but it's also been presented by think Romero did a version of it. George Romero did a version of it. Um it's been done more than once. Uh, oh yeah. More than a few times. But it's it's a fascinating story. And to have that creep in, I also felt that like, well, what? <laughs> and she's yeah. like um, okay.
7: <laughs> and at the last 30 minutes it's a Poe movie. Yeah. <laughs> suddenly. And it was just really fascinating. You got your um, Poe
0: movie in my vampire movie. You got your vampire movie in my Poe movie, yeah. <laughs>
7: In the essay I wrote, I talked a little bit about it, and I don't really have any any basis for this beyond, like, feel. Okay. But as I was watching the movie, it reminded me a little bit of um, some of the horror manga that Katsu Omezu did. Okay. And not, not the more famous stuff like Cat-Eyed Boy or, uh, or, like, Drifting Classroom, but some of his, like, more sedate gothic stuff. Which which does the same thing that this does of sort of mashing together like Western Gothic stuff and more traditional Japanese stuff. Okay. Atmospherically, it felt a lot like those manga to me, so I, I enjoyed that a lot because I liked those manga quite a bit.
0: I'm not very fr- I'm not familiar at all really uh, with well any manga, um, having not read any of it. It's just not something I was ever drawn to, mm-hmm. so now I'm interested.
7: Yeah. Um. Catsawimits. Cats yeah whatever, however you say his name, his stuff is very good. The Drifting Classroom is a masterpiece, and it's weird as hell. It's very long, but (laughs) it is very weird. Um, But yeah, he did a number of, that that you can get in English. I mean, he did a bunch of stuff that hasn't been translated as well, but he did some stuff that you can get in English that's more just like ghost stories and gothic stories, and they're very good.
0: One thing that I'm, I'm discovering about myself as I... Continue to produce Monster Kid Radio and start talk. I've talked about so many of the uh, the classic Universal films and the Hammer films and the, the quote unquote standards and then kind of the less standard, but still very Hollywood or Corman or, or off the beaten path, but still American. Uh, so right. I am starting to look outside of the American British film catalog, I guess you could say, and I am finding myself more and more fascinated with japanese horror in genre cinema uh, not that i didn't like what i'd already seen but as i watch movies like this or even just talking with you right now i'm, I'm thinking okay i gotta watch this i've gotta watch that i've gotta read this book and i've gotta check out that manga you know? Uh, because <laughs> yeah. i mean it's just a different take on some of the tropes that we have but they're uniquely japanese and there are some things that they do that we don't even touch on over here
7: i feel a lot of times like when when you when you deal with like western british and, and american horror fiction and gothic fiction from from the last 100 years or so there's a lot of stuff that you know came and went in that time and then you know traditions that came and went but a lot of the japanese stuff feels from my perspective without knowing anything about the cultural you know history it's steeped in really it feels a lot more directly connected to like the turn of the century weird fiction authors like mr james or those early ghost story authors but you know that kind of weirder more visceral ghost story. feels like it just went straight. Like there was just a straight line from it to sort of modern Japanese horror. Hmm. And I'm I'm sure there's not. I'm sure there are all sorts of of cul-de-sacs and things, but the the connection feels more direct. And since I love that era of ghost story, to feel it so vividly in contemporary film is really fascinating.
0: I do wonder if there was a connection there. I've not read a lot of M.R. James. As of last year, I actually read very little. Uh, I've Pick some up now, and uh, I, I enjoy it quite a bit. He's very, very good.
7: Mm-hmm. A simple thing is like so: I know I don't know a ton, but I know enough to know that you know Edgar Allan Poe was popular in Japan. Mm-hmm. You also had Edogawa Rampo, the Japanese sort of mystery horror author who took his name from Edgar Allan Poe. <laughs> I mean, and you had that that influence very strongly in Japanese sort of culture, but. Not at the same point in history that it hit America. It hit at a different point in time, like the translations happened at a different time. And so even something as simple as it just hitting the culture at a different moment changed how it shaped it. Okay. Things like that are really interesting. And I need to learn more to really understand them, but I can see their influences. And that intrigues me. And then I want to go track more things down, and learn more. Right. Uh, so. Oh, darn. <laughs> <laughs> right.
0: Yeah, go learn more about genre fiction, boy.
7: <laughs> right, and it's, that's that's where I end up a lot of a lot of times when I start getting into some rabbit hole about a Japanese horror film or something I'm like. Oh, I, now I need to watch all these other movies, and now I need to read this thing, and oh, has this been translated? And yeah,
0: yeah, it's the best kind of <laughs> homework, though, right? Yeah,
7: no, it's it's good,
0: and you get to turn around and turn it into an essay for a book, and there you go, <laughs> sell millions of copies, and then yeah, mm-hmm.
7: yeah. <laughs> i'm still working on that last part okay
0: well yeah i think all of us creatives are yeah, yeah. uh so listeners buy lots of orange books just
7: saying I, I approve of this message <laughs> uh,
0: is there anything else about the film you want to mention before we start wrapping up not off the top of my head i think we
7: covered most of my notes anyway
0: and you brought up a lot of the comments that i was going to make as well it's like you were kind of remote viewing my notes here so yeah uh, I I'm, right. in, I'm in agreement with you. I really enjoy this one. It is definitely off the beaten path when it comes to quote unquote vampire films. Of the three films in this set, it is the most quote unquote weird, and <laughs> I, I dig it, man. I, I dig it a lot. So.
7: Yeah, I love this one. I love. That. I, love well, I loved all three of them, honestly. But this one was my
0: favorite and i know i say this all the time every movie that we talk about here on the show i make sure there's a link so you can pick it up on amazon just follow the link in the show notes over at the website monsterkidradio.net also you're going to find links to everything oren's up to including his website which we didn't mention yet orengray.com and it's gray with uh, e y so check that out um the website's called who killed oren gray so if you find that you found the right place And in here, he's listed all of his bibliography, uh, posts about what's coming up next for him, uh, blog posts, that sort of thing. So check that out as well. And again, Revenge of the Monsters is up for pre-sale, pre-order right now. Looks like uh, $22 will get you this incredible tome that I'm looking forward to. And then as soon as I get another uh, check coming in, I'll be pre-ordering it myself.
7: Awesome. And it also, at $22, you'll get it and the previous one.
0: There, there you go. You get both of so, them. Yeah. That, that's a deal yeah there you go anything else coming up in the near future that you want to make sure listeners know about because i think people need to know
7: i think everything else that's specifically coming up is is embargoed i can't talk about it yet so oh no <laughs> oh no um just uh, pre-order revenge monsters from the vault that's what i got right now
0: okay and we mentioned necronomicon we'll mention it again uh are you definitely going to that i am definitely going to that unless okay.
7: something ridiculous happens like i Tickets are bought, all that stuff. So.
0: Okay, and that's in August, we said? That's in,
7: Yeah, that's in August Okay. in Providence, Rhode Island. So it'll be my first time in Providence. I'm looking forward to touring some of the HP Lovecraft stuff.
0: Oh, wow. I, I've never been. I've always wanted to go uh, just to kind of be where the man was uh-huh. and, and, and soak up some of that vibe if there's any left.
7: Yeah, well, <laughs> it's, it's one of those things where, like, He's one of those writers who was such a regional writer and wrote so much about the place he lived that going to that place will feel a lot more important than if I went to, you know, where, I don't know, I'm trying to think of an example that isn't that way. But, you know, some, some other some other writers are not nearly that regional, and so I'm really excited to like, see some of the specific places and stuff.
0: Yeah, for me, it's that in Cross Plains. I want to get down to Cross Plains someday you know, mm-hmm. for Robert E. Howard. So mm-hmm. someday I'll get to the Cross Plains Festival down there, Barbarian Days. Yeah. yeah. Someday. Uh, and, and maybe we'll even cross paths on one of these things. And hopefully we'll see you at a Lovecraft Film Festival eventually again.
7: I'm, I'm hoping to make it out again soon. i love to come. I'm, I'm hoping maybe next year, uh, just because I know this year's out.
0: Well, Oren, thank you for doing this. And I know I said this off mic. I'm going to say it here on mic so people know that it was my fault that you haven't been on the show sooner. <laughs> uh, I just had some scheduling issues and then I got sick. So... Thank you for your patience. I oh, really never. appreciate your flexibility, and I'd love to have you back on to talk about something else down the line.
7: Absolutely. I love talking about monster movies. So,
0: I know I already mentioned it during the conversation with Oren, but I'm going to mention it again here. Who Killed Oren Gray is the name of his website, and you can find it at his name, orengray.com. That's O R R I N. G R E Of course, there will be a link in the show notes there as well. So you can find out everything that he's got going on. Check out his bibliography, check out his books. He's a good writer, man. He's a great writer. I love reading his stuff and I'll make sure there are links in the show notes for you to go to Amazon and pick up copies of your own Oren Gray books. If you use the link in the show notes, of course we get a little bit of kickback from Amazon. So you help support the show that way as well. Big thanks again to Oren for being part of the show this week. Have a great time, man.
4: Mary, no! God! Let go! I simply don't, don't understand it. Of course, the sound is coming from the basement. It's alright. I've got you, Mr. Adam. No, no. Show me what?
2: Gotta get away from those eyes! Get away! Get away!
1: are you attracted to the dark fascinated by the dramatic with a side of gruesome and a dash of poetic justice if your happy place is a gloomy room at midnight then you should be listening to the podcast 12 chimes it's midnight please join us won't you for plays of mystery horror and suspense Find us and subscribe wherever you procure your podcasts. And remember,
8: at midnight, anything can happen.
4: May
1: I have your attention, please? I have been asked to explore the serious side of Alfred Hitchcock. Very likely, I suspect, because I am Alfred Hitchcock. I have chosen to do this through the following serious statement. I want you to see Psycho, a motion picture, exactly the way I originally made it, uncut, with every scene intact, especially the famous shower bath scene, which the TV version did not dare show. This occurs 44 minutes from the start of Psycho. Watch for it. And remember, no one will be admitted to see Psycho except from the very beginning. I now leave you with this final serious message. Suggested for mature audiences. For the first time in screen history, a special interval will be provided during the running of this picture for refunding your admission if you're unable to stand the almost unbearable suspense, the almost paralyzing shock of homicidal.
3: If homicide is your hobby, uh, may I recommend a, a surgical knife for a nice, clean, quiet, murder. I'm William Castle, and uh, uh, this wheelchair is just to rest my tired nerves after producing a picture like this one. We are so sure you will find it such a shocking and startling experience that we are offering a money-back guarantee when you come to see Homicidal. At the height of the suspense, there will be a fright break, an interval during which you can quiet your nerves you are too frightened to see the end of the picture, your full admission price will be refunded. Time to go downstairs now. Got a date to carve a corpse.
0: That's going to bring us to the end of the show this week. I want to thank everybody for being involved with the show. All the segments we had coming in. Professor Frenzy. Kenny, Dr. Tongue. This show wouldn't be what it was this week without you, so thank you. Listeners, check out MonsterKidRadio.net to find links to everything that you heard discussed here on the show. Orange website, the Amazon links, everything that we've got going on here, including our contact information. You can call us and leave us a voicemail by calling five zero three-479-5657. That's five zero three-four seven nine five MKR. You can also send us an email at MonsterKidRadio at gmail.com. Also at the website, we've got links to our YouTube page, our Patreon campaign, our Facebook, our Twitter, everything you need to know about Monster Kid Radio. It is right there. So go check that out. Also, I'm going to mention in this week's show notes on the website what we're going to be talking about next week. And oh boy, I am pumped for next week's episode. Oh man, this is something that I've been wanting to do for a long time. This was actually something that we've been planning for a long time and then life got in the way more than once. But finally... I'm sitting down with Charles Babbage to talk about the movie Metropolis. This, oh man, this is going to be a good show. I actually just finished watching the Blu-ray of Metropolis. And here in a couple of hours, I'm going to record with Charles about it. I can't wait to tell him and tell you guys and gals what I thought of this Blu-ray presentation because, oh mm, man, I'm pumped. So Metropolis next week with Charles Babbage. Also, there's still just a little bit of time left for you to cast your votes in the Monster Movie Madness Tournament 2019 here on Monster Kid Radio by going to tinyurl slash madness. 2019 this is a bracket style competition where we're asking you to pick your favorite monster movies we've got the divisions broken up here and you can go in and and cast your votes only one vote per person please april 5th is the deadline and then after that i'm going to send the results to steve turek the monster kid radio minion and he'll go through and tabulate who won the first round and who's going to advance. And then I'll also create a new poll, a new form for you to fill out with the next movies and the next movies and so on. Ultimately, we're going to get down to the Frightful Four, and then we're going to find out using this tournament, what is your favorite monster movie? I'm pleasantly surprised with how things are going right now. I can watch the responses as they come in, and there are some blowouts, and there are some that are pretty neck and neck, and it's kind of exciting to see. If you look into the archives at MonsterKidRadio.net, you can find four different recordings between Steve and then an expert for the various regions, the East, North, South and West regions of the tournament. So if you want to know a little bit more about what's going in and what our experts think might win, go check out the episodes in the archives. And of course, big thanks to Steve Turek for kind of spearheading this thing and, and bringing this to Monster Kid Radio. If you want to hear more of me on podcasts, well, recently I appeared on two more shows. Now, last week I appeared on the Blue Tiger podcast. I'll make sure there's a link to that in the show notes, even though I did it last week. But this week, I also appeared on the Dread Media podcast when I did an interview with director Christine Parker about her new movie, Blood of the mummy that was about an hour long conversation and des over at dread media agreed to play the interview over there at dread media and that's at dreadmedia.com also i was a special guest on the most recent episode of the kaiju cast where kyle gretchen and then i sat down and talked about ultra q which is one of my favorite japanese tokusatsu properties That was just a blast. I love recording with Kyle. There's a reason why I keep telling people that Kyle needs to be in the Monster Kid Hall of Fame over at the Rondos. Speaking of which, RondoAward.com, there's still time for you to cast your ballot. If you haven't done it yet, what's what's keeping you? What's holding you up? I mean, come on. It's the Rondos. It's fun. Anyway, that's pretty much all we've got going on here. I want to wrap up by saying... Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 Unported License. That does not apply to Professor Frenzy's Bedtime Stories. That's owned by Professor Frenzy. And then, of course, the song that we played, The Bogeyman, from the band The Delstroyers. Check them out at thedelstroyers.com, or like I said on Facebook, or over on Bandcamp, where you can pick up their previous albums right now while you're waiting for the new EP to come out, Resurrected. One of the songs you're going to hear on that EP is The Bogeyman, and you're going to hear it right now. My name is Derek Kim Cook. Talk to everybody next week. Ciao. <laughs>